Girl, you've got questions. Questions about your body and how to feel good in it, about your hormones and how to keep them in check. Questions about your sex life and your whole health. Can you imagine having a best girlfriend who was also a triple board certified OBGYN? A girlfriend doctor you could call and ask or tell her anything. Someone who could show you how to live any stage of life before, during, or after menopause in a big, bold, and beautiful way. Well, friends, I'm your girlfriend doctor. I believe you are meant to flourish and shine, to embrace life and awaken to all its possibilities. Let's get there together. Welcome to our show. Welcome back to The Girlfriend Doctor Show. I hope you had an amazing Valentine's Day and you felt the love. You had a lot of oxyplay, good days with oxytocin, and you continue to bring that feelings and those emotions forward in your life. This season, I wanted to bring back a podcast that I had done with Dr. Gary Chapman, the author of Five Love Languages. I actually recorded it in February of 2021 in the middle of the pandemic. And this is an episode that I've listened to over and over, and I've read the five love languages at least four times now and continue to bookmark pages and refer back to some of my favorite sections. And also as a good reminder, additionally, in this episode, I'm bringing back an episode, a segment that I didn't share before on betrayal and affairs. What do you do when you have a betrayal or an affair? And how can you forgive and let go? And can you reconciliate? These are questions I asked Dr. Gary Chapman, and he had beautiful answers. Additionally, in this episode, you will learn what the five love languages are and what they mean. Also, how to pay attention to subtle clues to identify your own love language and the love languages of the people around you, as well as how events or circumstances can change your love language over time. I know you'll enjoy this episode as much as I have, and I look forward to learning what you take home from it. Please leave me a review, show me some love anywhere you listen to this podcast. Thank you. Here we go. Welcome back to the Girlfriend Doctor Show. Today, I have the author of The Five Love Languages, this must-read book with over 13 million copies sold, translated into 50 different languages, steady on the New York Times bestseller list since 2007. I have Dr. Gary Chapman to share his wisdom and his expertise in reconciliation and inspiring that loving feeling back into the marriages and lives and relationships of millions of people worldwide. I am thrilled to introduce him to you and share his brilliance with you today. So join me. Here we go. Welcome, Dr. Chapman. I have been wanting this interview for so long, and I feel like I hit the jackpot today. Thank you for being with me. <laughs> well, thank you, Dr. Quebec. Good to be with you. Well, I have been an admirer of your work. And of course, this book, Five Love Languages, I think I originally read it a decade ago um, as I was coming through my divorce and wishing I had it in my marriage. So um, let's let's just dive into what are the five love languages and why are they so important that we should know them? And on that aside, as a dating woman in her mid-50s now, on many of the dating sites, people will say, hey, my love language is such and such. So it is really important to know. Well, it is. You know, I think one of our deepest emotional needs is the need to feel loved by the significant people in our lives. 
And what makes one person feel love doesn't necessarily make another person feel love. And that's where the love languages comes in. And so what I discovered is that there's five fundamental ways to express love. And each person uh, has a primary love language. So out of the five, one is more important than the others. So briefly, they are uh, words of affirmation. Uh, you look nice in that outfit. I really appreciate what you did. You know, one of the things I like about you is <laughs> just using words to affirm the other person. And then there's acts of service. Now, wait, with that words of affirmation, I mean, that should be easier than it is sometimes, right? So like if words are not your love language, that can be a really big challenge. Yeah. And if you didn't receive words of affirmation growing up, it's a learning curve. Uh, but the good news about all these languages is you can learn them as an adult, even if you did not know them as a child or receive them as a child. Uh, you just take steps. Yeah, I said to a guy who said to me, he said, Dr. Chapman, my wife's love language is words of affirmation. And he said, I don't know how to do that. And he said, I, I, I can't do that. I said, well, tell me three things that you appreciate about your wife. He said, well, she's a good cook. She's a good mother. She's a good school teacher. I said, okay. So I wrote out three sen a sentence on each one of those for him and said, go home and stand in front of the mirror and read these out loud to yourself twice a day for, for this week. He came back. I said, can you say them without looking? And he did. I said, now your assignment is for the next three weeks, you give her one of these each week. He came back. And he said, I did it. I said, how'd she respond? He said, well, on the third week, she said to me, what's going on with you? I've never heard you give me so many compliments. And he said, well, honey, I'm trying to learn how to express love to you because I do love you. And she said, that is so sweet. I love you. Oh, <laughs> he said, Dr. yes. He said, Dr. Seven, I hadn't heard her say that in a long time. <laughs> so, you know, you take baby steps, but you can learn to speak any of these languages. Perfect. That sounds good. All right. So words of affirmation, number one. And then acts of service, doing something for the other person that you know they would like for you to do. In a marriage, that would be such things as cooking meals, washing dishes, vacuuming floors, um, cleaning the baby's diaper. Ooh, that's a big act of service. Oh, yeah. <laughs> washing the car, mowing the grass, walking the dog, anything that you know they would like for you to do. Remember the old saying, actions speak louder than words. If this is your love language, that will be true. It's not, not true for everyone, but it is true for those for whom this is their language. And that is but definitely it, true for me too. I mean, definitely acts of service. I'm like, show me, don't tell me. And, <laughs> yeah. you know, that is truthfully. And I think maybe for physicians, people in the service-oriented fields, is that more common to be an acts of service person or it's still, it depends? No, I don't know. I, I think it depends on a lot of factors, you know, mm -hmm. but, uh, but my wife's language is acts of service also. And in the early years, I gave her words of affirmation because that was my language. And I would tell her how much I loved her and all this. And she, one day she said, honey, you keep saying, I love you. If you love me, why don't you help me? I was blown out of the saddle because I knew nothing about love language in those days. But for some people, uh, acts of service is their primary language. And then there's gifts. It's universal to give gifts as an expression of love. Uh, before I studied counseling, my, uh, I did an undergrad and a master's degree in cultural anthropology, the study of cultures. We've never found a culture where gift giving is not an expression of love. It's universal to give gifts. The gift says they were thinking about me. Look, look, look what they got from me. And the gift doesn't have to be expensive. We've always said it's the thought that counts. 
But I remind people, it's not the thought left in your head that counts. It's the gift that came out of the thought in your head, okay? <laughs> so there's gifts, and then there's quality time, giving them your undivided attention. I do not mean sitting on the couch watching television. Someone else has your attention. TV is off, computer's down, we're not answering our phone, we're looking at each other, we're talking, we're sharing life together, undivided attention. And it doesn't have to be sitting down, you can take a walk down the road and talk, or you, and you don't even have to be talking. It can be doing something that the other person enjoys doing, like maybe you want to plant a flower garden together, but you have their full attention, and that's what makes them fill up. And then the last one is physical touch, and we've long known the emotional power of physical touch. In a marriage, that is such things as holding hands and kissing and embracing and the whole sexual part of marriage, arm around the shoulder, driving down the road, you put your hand on their leg, just affirming touches. And as I said earlier, the basic idea is that out of those five, each of us has a primary love language. And if you don't speak their primary, they will not feel loved, even though you may be speaking some of the other languages. Well, I have lived that truth for sure, both on the receiving and giving ends of that. So I've been, you know, really feeling blessed to learn this and not just with uh, relate romantic relationships of my life, but with my children, with my four daughters, learning each of their love languages has been a real blessing in our relationships too. With my little one, who's just about to be 13, I thought it was quality time, but it is words of affirmation. And when I you know, had her do one of your love language quizzes and she goes, mom, of course it's words of affirmation. She goes, when you say something positive and encourage me, it just lights me up. I was like, whoa, okay. <laughs> yeah, you know, to Paris, I say, the question is not, do you love your children? The question is, do your children feel loved? I mean, by nature, yes. we love our children. But if we don't speak their love language, they, they won't feel it. I remember a 13-year-old young man that ended up in my office. He'd run away from home. And in my office, he said to me, my parents don't love me. They love my brother, but they don't love me. I knew his parents. I knew they loved him. The problem is they'd never learned how to speak his love language. So yeah, it's extremely important in the parent-child relationship or any, any really close relationship. I think so. So Dr. Chapman, how do people, how do we, how do you tell people to find out or discover their own love language and communicate that as well as the love language of those they love? Well, there are some informal ways that you can do that. Number one is simply observe their behavior or observe your own behavior. How do you, by nature, respond to people in general? If you're always giving people affirming words, encouraging words, that's probably what you want, because we tend to speak our own language. Uh, if, if with children, you can determine their love language by the age of four using this observing their behavior. My son's love language is physical touch. When, when he was that age and I would come home from work, he would run to the door and grab my leg and climb all over me. He's touching me because he wants to be touched. Our daughter never did that. Our daughter would say at that age, Daddy, come into my room. I want to show you something. She wanted quality time, my undivided attention. So observe the behavior. Uh, and then what do you complain about most often? Or what do they complain about? Oh, the I'll complaint. tell you what I complain about. Yeah, like, <laughs> help me out. Give me a hand. Access so the service. complaint reveals the love language. You know, if a wife says, for example, I just feel like we don't, ever see each other anymore. I mean, it's, we're busy and it, I feel like we're ships passing in the night. 
she's complaining that she's not getting quality time. Uh, so yeah, whatever the complaint is, if a child's complaining about something, you know, uh, I remember a uh, uh, mother told me this, a six-year-old son said to his mother, we don't ever go to the park anymore since the baby came. He and his mother used to go to the park. He had her undivided attention, but now the baby's here and he's not getting that quality time. He's speaking loudly. This is what I need. Uh, so what do you complain about? And then the third is, what do you request most often? Because the request also reveals the love language. And my daughter, when she was a teenager, she would say to me two or three nights a week, Dad, can we take a walk after dinner? And I'd say, sure, honey, as soon as I finish dishes for your mama. <laughs> <laughs> right, because your wife is acts of yeah, service. Yeah, of service. Yeah, fill mama's love tank, and then I'll take, <laughs> take you for a walk. So, yeah. Uh, so those three things, you can pretty well figure out your own love language or someone else's language. Now, there is also a free quiz online at fivelovelanguages.com. There's a quiz for married couples. Yeah, and it's also in the back of that book. Yeah. Uh, but there's a quiz for married couples. There's a quiz for single adults. There's a quiz for teenagers. And then there's a little game type thing you play for younger children to determine their love language. So I'd say try the informal ways and see what you come up with and then take the quiz and see if it affirms what you have discovered informally. I love that. And I want to thank you for sharing this five love languages. Okay, everyone, you guys got to figure out your own, please comment below, share with me, let me know what your love languages are or is your primary love language. Work on figuring that out. And I can't wait to hear it. We'll be right back digging deep into with Dr. Gary Chapman into why it's so important to know your love language and what happens if you guys aren't speaking, if we're not speaking each other's love language. So we'll be right back. Well, Dr. Chapman, I'm so glad to be back here with you. And I want to talk about now that we know what our love languages is, well, our primary one is, and maybe like secondary love languages and how important those are, what are the big risks of not knowing your love language? Well, I think when we don't know uh, the other person's love language, uh, chances are we're not going to meet the need for love. You know, I like the picture inside every one of us, inside children, inside adults. There's an emotional love tank. And when the love tank is full, life is beautiful. But when the love tank is empty and you feel like they don't love me, they wish they weren't married to me, life begins to look pretty dark. And so the only way to, to meet that need for love is to speak love in a language that communicates to them emotionally. And uh, what happened in my, in my counseling with couples, and this is where I discovered the love languages, they would sit in my office and one of them would say, I just feel like he doesn't love me or she doesn't love me. And the other one would say, I don't understand that. I do this and this and this. Why would you not feel loved? And I knew they were sincere. They were expressing love, but they were missing the other person. So that's why it's so important. You can be sincere and still miss each other emotionally. And the love tank gets empty. And, uh, and life is much more difficult to handle when the love tank is empty, much easier to handle when the love tank is full. I would agree. And that just brings to memory that, that song in Fiddler of the Roof, Fiddler on the Roof. 
that is like um she's singing does she love does he love me and he's singing does she love me and she's like i clean his socks i wash his clothes i keep the house right take care of the children and he's like does she love me you're <laughs> <laughs> right that was an illustration of it right there <laughs> and how does this lead to divorce and those feelings of being really disconnected in a relationship and is this exacerbated like this our tank does it get emptier faster when we're in stress? You know, I think it does. Uh, I think what happens to many couples is what happened to me in the early days of our marriage. You know, the in love experience that we, we typically call we fall in love, it has an average lifespan of two years. And we're pushed along with these emotions. And this is the most wonderful person in the world. And then we come down off the high. Well, my wife and I had dated uh, two and a half years before we got married. So I came down pretty soon after the honeymoon and our conflicts arose and we didn't know how to solve conflicts because when you're in love, you don't think you'll have any conflicts. And so we ended up arguing and would raise our voice and say some hateful things. And before long, not only had I lost all those love feelings, I was having negative feelings toward her. And what happens with many couples is at that juncture, they live for a while with these negative feelings. And these thoughts that I've married the wrong person, it's not going to work. Then at work or somewhere else, they meet someone else and they get attracted to them. And now they have an emotional attraction, which often leads to to a physical attraction and and leads to divorce. Uh, Whereas if you could have learned this and chosen to speak each other's love language, you would have created a climate in which the two of you could solve conflicts much easier. Because when you feel loved by each other, then as you come to a conflict, you're respecting the other person's position and you're listening with with open ears to hear what they're thinking and what they're feeling. So it makes a huge impact. In fact, I've had many people say to me, Gary, that book, The Five Love Languages, literally saved our marriage. I mean, we were talking divorce and we read that book and the lights came on. It was it was just like we look back and realize how we'd missed each other. And we took the quiz and we started speaking the right language. And the emotions came back, uh, you know, and, and so, and that's what I hope will happen to couples who read the book. And I hope they read it early on before they get to the place where they feel like they uh, make the decision that we're going to give up on. it. Yes. Yeah. I feel the same way about your book. I wish I read it a lot earlier on, like on our honeymoon, maybe, or even <laughs> while we were dating. Yes. That would have made a really big difference. And it's important to know this now. And and I think that I love how in the five love languages, you talk, you have great assignments, right? You give, you've given examples, beautiful examples and great assignments to couples, even in the case where they hate each other. <laughs> yep. And like, that is that is powerful to see that trans transformation, and I know too. Like in a, in my practice as well, and working with couples, especially post menopause, um, that sense of being roommates versus in love and and attracted and emotionally, you know, filled up, right on fire again. And you touch on that too. What about over age fifty? Is there a different way we need to look or communicate these love languages? You know, I think there may be because there are many dialects within each of these languages. I call them dialects. You know, this is very similar to spoken language. We all grew up with a language and a dialect. We call it our native tongue. It's the one we understand best. Same thing is true with love. So we have a, we have a native tongue, a native love language, a primary love language, I call it. And 
And so uh, you know, within each of those languages, there are many dialects. Uh, for example, a lady said to me the other day, she said, Gary, my husband and I have the same love language. I said, wonderful. I said, what is it? She said, acts of service. But she said, the things that I want him to do for me are different from the things that he wants me to do for him. Same language, just different dialects. So those kind of things may change you know, over a period of time. Whereas at one juncture, you really wanted uh, him to do certain things, and now you want him to do other things. So there can be changes, I think, in the dialect, and maybe as we get older. But th the principle is the same. And typically, the love language tends to stay, the primary language tends to stay with us for a lifetime. Excellent point. And I think this is going to lead us into our third segment. So is our love language constant or does it change? All right. For our audience, you guys have to understand what are the big risks of not knowing your love language. Really understand this because being able to speak it, try it, even if things have gotten so bad and if, if you've divorced and there's still strife within the relationship, understanding this and what could have maybe shifted the quality of your relationship in the past is going to be game changing changing for your relationships in the future. So here we go into our next segment. Is it constant or does it change? Well, Dr. Gary Chapman, again, I am so thrilled to have you on here. Let's talk about can our love language change based on our life situations? For example, you know, from dating to marriage or like as we addressed in the last segment, post-menopause. Yeah. You know, I think uh, the fundamental uh, primary language tends to stay with us for a lifetime. But having said that, I think there are seasons of life, circumstances where another love language will jump to the top. For example, a mother who has two preschool children, acts of service may not be her primary language before that, but it's likely to jump to the top because she's overwhelmed with all that has to be done. Uh, Here's another example. If you're number one and number two are very close, and sometimes they are, uh, I call these people bilingual, <laughs> either one of those two are going to really speak deeply to them. And if you get enough of your number one, you may begin to think, I don't know, I think number two has become number one. But if they stop doing number one, you'll quickly say, oh, no, 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 that's still my primary. <laughs> uh, here's another circumstance, for example. Let's say that your, your spouse uh, gets word that, uh, that one of their parents has died. Physical touch may not be their language, but at that juncture, you're holding them, letting them cry is probably the most powerful thing you can do at that moment. So yes, I think, uh, I think there, there may be seasons of life where another love language may jump to the top for a while. Uh, but I do think that that primary language does, it stays pretty important throughout the whole of life. I, I agree. And so far, it's it's definitely my acts of service love language has been primary. Again, I read your book a decade ago. and But my secondary love language changed. Mm -hmm. So I found that to be interesting at this at this time of life that, um, that I saw that change. Now, is our love language different in different relationships? So romantic versus our children versus our colleagues? I think it may be, uh, you know, I wrote, I wrote a book uh, later, an original book, called The Five Languages of Appreciation in the Workplace. We just took the love languages to work, okay? I did it with Dr. Paul White, who is a psychologist who had 20 years experience in business. And we did find that there's not a positive, uh, not an overwhelming positive correlation between your love language and family relationships 
and your love language in the workplace. We found there was about a 32% correlation. That is, 32% of the people would have the same appreciation language at work and the love language at home. But the other folks, uh, the work relationship, it would be different. Because let's face it, family relationships are very different from work relationships. Now, we use the word appreciation rather than the word love at work. It's the same basic need. It's that need to feel that people appreciate me. I'm not just a cog in the machine. They, they value me as a person. And, and that's why it's, it's, it's really important in the workplace to understand this concept, especially with those that you work with on a regular basis. Uh, so I think, yes, I think in those two situations, at least, uh, family relationships and work relationships, uh, the primary language may be different for sure. Yes. And I have that book, Five uh, Languages of Appreciation, and I have taken it into my workplace. I have employees. I have over 20 employees, but a core key group have been with me um, for over 20 years. Mm. And I can, I absolutely know their love languages and I got to get better at communicating it. You know, I'm definitely going to add that um, into, into my practices this year, but also the new employees. I haven't looked at their you know, language of yeah. appreciation. So it will be fun to to explore this and again to really create the dynamics of a, a loving workplace where we do feel appreciated. I don't think there's any greater gift I can give as an employer than that. I think that's true. You know, what we discovered is, or, or what research discovered, that's what motivated us to write this book, that 70% of the people in this country who have a job say they feel little to no appreciation coming from the people with whom they work. And 64% of the people who leave a job and go to another job say they left primarily because they didn't feel appreciated. So this is huge in the workplace. Absolutely. I want to thank you for sharing this. And we've been discussing, is our love language constant or does it change over time? And I think it's it's important to keep abreast of it and, and look and see, as well as understanding what really is communicating love and appreciation to us as each individual. Dr. Chapman, I want to thank you for being here and let everyone know you can, you know, take your quiz online at fivelovelanguages.com. And there's so many good resources at, with Dr. Gary Chapman, but also um, this book is essential. It's essential for you and a great gift to give to all those that you love and great conversation starter as well. So <laughs> I think it's really fun to have. I want to thank you for your work here. And I'm going to bring you into my Girlfriend Doctor Clubhouse for an exclusive. And we're going to talk about a very, you know, tender topic, uncensored on affairs and how to deal with a relationship if that person has had an affair or if you yourself had an affair and you're trying to figure out, well, why that was not characteristic We'll go into that in just a second. And for our girlfriends out there and everyone in the community, I want to make sure that you guys have your questions answered. Don't forget to connect with me at dranna.com on my podcast page and be sure to enter in your questions. Plus, share with me what your love language is. Dr. Gary Chapman, thank you for being with us. Thank you, Dr. Anna. Good to be with you.
Well, welcome back, Dr. Chapman. I have loved talking with you and really digging into the five love languages. Now I want to address a really tender topic and certainly tender for so many of us and an issue that has a lot of trauma around it, and that is the subject of affairs. And you write about that in your book, The Five Love Languages. So I wanted to bring this up, like what leads to an affair? I mean, you have had over 30 years behind closed doors with couples, right? And and as a gynecologist dealing with women and sexual health issues, those closed door conversations bring up a lot of trauma around affairs. Yeah. Yeah, well, you know, I think obviously there are differences with different couples uh, that lead to lead to divorce or lead to affairs, uh, rather. Uh, but I think at the very heart of that is that in the marriage, we're not finding what we dreamed we would find when we got married. We don't get married thinking that we're going to be miserable. We get married because we have these strong emotional feelings for each other, and we're drawn to each other, and we love being with each other. But what happens is, as I described in my own marriage earlier, uh, we do have conflicts. And obviously, we don't know how to solve the conflict. So we end up arguing with each other and we create a negative emotional environment. We even say things that later on we hate that we said those things and we say them in a harsh way. And so we now have negative feelings toward each other. We're not, we're no longer reaching out to each other, trying to love each other. We're just kind of, living there and, and realizing this is not good and I don't like this. And, and over time, we, we're further and further apart. And we're just living our own lives. And then one of them will meet someone. And this can happen in any context. It, often, it most often happens at work, but it can happen anywhere. That you meet this other person. They're kind. They smile. Uh, you know, they're, they're, they say good morning. You haven't heard that in a long time. Good morning. <laughs> and so uh, you, we're kind of drawn to them. And then we say, well, how about lunch someday? And then we have lunch together and kind of hear each other's story a little bit. And, and then we want to have another lunch and then another. And, and we just we're sharing more and more of life. And the more we share, the more we like each other. And before long, you know, we're spending time at events and doing things, and then it moves into the physical uh, aspect of the, of the affair. It's already an affair. It's an emotional affair early on. It, it becomes a physical affair. And, and then it can go either way. You know, it, it, it sometimes leads to, to remarriage. You end up marrying that person and not understanding that the same pattern that you had in that first marriage is going to be in the second marriage. Yeah, typically you're gonna, say different face, yeah, same situation. You, you, you're going to have conflicts and the same thing's going to happen. And that's why the divorce rate in second marriages is higher than the divorce rate in first marriages. So, so you know, I, I, know, I know at that juncture you feel like, well, this is going to be it. I found the right one this time. You know? uh, and, and, I, and I, you can have a good marriage. Uh, you know, certainly you can have a good second marriage for, for sure if you learn some things. But it won't happen just doing what you've done all your lifetime, what comes natural. Uh, so I think that often happens. Now, if, if however, the person uh, wakes up and realizes, you know, I'm about to hurt my kids, I'm about to hurt my spouse, I'm about to hurt my reputation, the community, I, I got I to I get this thing straightened out. And, and they decide to break off the relationship and to work on the marriage. 
and they come back and, and apologize to the spouse and ask for a chance. Can we work on the marriage? Will you work on the marriage with me? Uh, sometimes they will and sometimes they won't, you know. But if they will, yes, there is life after an affair. There can be genuine love and genuine support. And you can have the kind of marriage you wanted to have when you got married, which is a loving, supportive, caring relationship with each other. Uh, but it does take sincere apology. It takes breaking off the affair, totally breaking off the affair. And if that person calls you, because often if you've had an affair, and even if you tell them, I'm, I'm going to break it off and I'm going to go work on my marriage, that person will call you. You can't keep them from calling you. But if they do call you, you just affirm that you've made your decision and you're working on your marriage and you tell your spouse that they called. You're not keeping anything from them now. Okay. You got to be totally open. They called today and here's what, and here's what they said. And here's what I told them. And I just want you to be aware of that. And they might call two or three times and then they'll realize this is over. Okay. So you have to be totally transparent with your spouse and then they have to be willing to forgive you. That's a tough one. That's tough. And forgiveness is not a feeling because you won't feel like forgiving them. You'll feel like, you know, making them suffer for what they did to you. But forgiveness is a choice to remove the barrier and to open the door to the possibility that we can be reconciled. And counseling is extremely helpful at that juncture because you have a third person who's helping both of you hear each other. And the person who committed the affairs has got to be patient with the one who was hurt deeply and, and say such things as, honey, uh, it may take you time to forgive me. I understand that. And, and you know, it's, up, it's, it's your choice whenever you can honestly forgive me because it may take a while for them to work through their emotion. You don't preach to them and say, you got to forgive me. You know, you got to forgive. No, 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 no. Don't, you can't make somebody forgive you. You just be open and transparent and loving toward them. And they will make a decision to love you, forgive you and love you or not. Uh, that's a decision they have to make. But if you begin the road of reconciliation, the five love languages can be extremely helpful because it'll probably explain to you why you got in the place you got into. Yeah, why you not, were emotionally empty enough that's, to that's seek right. outside attention. A absolutely, because that's when most affairs take place is when you've lived with an empty love tank for a long, long time. And now, man, this is wonderful. You know, this person's nice. Um, so, uh, so you can communicate love after there's been sincere apology and, and sincere forgiveness. You're communicating love to each other in the right love language, and the emotions do come back. Now, the memory of the affair will come back even after there's been forgiveness. You, you know, some people have said, if you haven't forgotten, you haven't forgiven. That's not true. The memory Glad comes you said back. That. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you, you can't keep the memory from coming back. And with the memory, sometimes the emotions come back, the hurt comes back, and sometimes the anger comes back. And so you just acknowledge that. You say to yourself, I'm remembering today. I've got these visual images in my head again, and I'm, I'm, I'm feeling these things again, but I've chosen to forgive. Now, I want to do something good today. I want to love them in their love language today. So you don't allow the memory and the emotions to control your behavior. You don't deny them. You acknowledge what you're thinking and feeling, but you don't allow them to control your behavior. You, you love them in the right language. And now you continue down the road of improving. 
And that goes both ways when those feeling of emptiness comes, again, communicating that my emotional love tank is empty. And you give that love tank exercise, like how full is your love tank today on a scale of one to 10? So then this practice would come in to really help keep your love tank full. Yeah, it's a way of communicating to each other. If you kind of check in on the scale of zero to 10, how's your love tank today? And, and if it's anything less than 10, what could I do today to help fill it? What now you've I got do information. Today to help fill it. Uh-huh. <laughs> I've got a list, buddy. I've got a list. <laughs> so we've answered the question, can you repair after an affair? And I think that's really pa- powerful. And that, you know, practice of, of forgiveness and being able to move on. A question that I have is, you know, I hear often, once a cheater, always a cheater. And so in couples that I've worked with, and especially women that I've worked with, I have a situation where a dear friend said, you know what, I found out three months into our love affair, into our, into our re- new relationship, that he had had an affair, and that's what broke up his first marriage. It just floored me, you know, will he do this to me? Yeah. Yeah, and I think that's a logical thought, because we do know that people sometimes develop patterns of life, but don't assume that that's true, always true. It's an individual decision that a person makes, and a person can have a failure in terms of being unfaithful in the marriage and then and then have deep commitment for years when they when they reconcile so just because someone has had an affair in the past doesn't mean that they will or that they have to have an affair a lot depends on what what are, what have, what have they done to understand themselves better as how have they grown as a person and what are we doing to enhance our relationship and keep it alive rather than just drifting. You know, if we drift in a marriage, we drift apart. You have to put the oars in if you're going to keep your boats <laughs> moving together. Yeah. So, uh, but, but continuing to work on the marriage and being open and honest with each other as you're, as you're reconciling and walking that road of reconciliation, uh, you come to have real trust again. That's really what we're talking about here. Uh, because they sit in my office and a wife may say, well, Dr. Chapman, I've forgiven him, but to be honest with you, I don't trust him. And I say, welcome to the human race. Forgiveness does not equal trust. Forgiveness opens the door to the possibility that trust can be reborn. So I say to him, if you want her to trust you again, here's the approach. Honey, my computer is yours anytime you want to look at it. My phone is yours anytime you want to look at it. If I tell you I'm going over to George's house to help him work on his car tonight, it's fine with me if you want to drive over and see if I'm there. I'm through with deceit. I've hurt you enough. I don't want to hurt you again. You take that approach, she'll come to trust you again. It may take a few months, but she'll come to trust you again. But forgiveness opens the door to the possibility that trust can be reborn. And I think that is so powerful. And what would you say to a couple or a woman right now who was thinking, okay, I'm in a relationship. I just need, an, as the French say, a petite more to stay in the relationship, like that love affair and to keep my marriage together, that type of thinking. Well, I think, you know, depending on where you are, obviously, if you're a person that's in an affair and you're trying to decide, am I going to go with this new relationship or go back? 
first of all, you need to get to know the person that you have an affair with. Because <laughs> when you're in love, when we're when they're in love, they're the best they're ever going to be. You know, <laughs> you you're going to see all the positive things and not the negative things. You want to find out some things about them from some people that really know them. Otherwise, you're gonna you're gonna be deluded. But I think if you are deciding, am I going to work on this relationship? My spouse has come back from an affair. And am I going to work on this? Am I going to risk this? Or am I not going to risk this? And that's a hard, that's hard emotionally to grapple with that. But I think you have to think in terms of what does this mean to me? And what will it mean to my children? Because divorce affects children adversely. There's no question about that. And so you want to think about that and not just be self-centered and say, well, I'm not going to go, I'm not going to take the chance of being hurt again. Listen, sometimes taking the chance, I mean, that has to be a first step. You have to take a chance because we don't know. You don't know ultimately what will happen, but you take a chance in the right, what I think is the right direction. You're far more likely to find reconciliation. I, I want to wrap this up. I don't want to wrap this up. Dr. Chapman, I would love to just, you know, sit on your couch for hours and hours, <laughs> days and days. But in your book, The Five Love Languages, again, a must read for everyone, every woman, every man, and really understand what our love languages are so that we can keep our emotional love tank full. And we just feel that sense of being loved and and appreciated. That's so powerful. But you give a verse from the Bible, and it's also one of my favorite to grapple with, let's say, and it's this, and I believe it's from Luke. But to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who mistreat you, do to others as you would have them do to you. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. That's the goal. That's the goal is to love even the unlovely. And, you know, I have seen this happen over and over again, and I've often given people this challenge who are in a difficult marriage, and they're not feeling loved by their spouse, and their spouse won't read the book, and they won't go to counseling. Say, so what if you do a six-month experiment, and you speak their love language at least once a week for six months, and let's just see what happens. Over and over again, before the six months is over, I've seen that other person began to be drawn to the person who's loving them unconditionally. This is not easy. In fact, you're probably going to have a little need a little divine help <laughs> to do that, okay? But we can with God's help, we can learn to communicate love to a spouse who is not loving us. You know, we've said for years you cannot change your spouse, and that's true but we can influence our spouse. And the greatest influence you can have is to love an unlovely spouse in their love language over an extended period of time. It's the greatest influence you can have. Can't guarantee that every one of them will turn around, but I can tell you many will turn around and they will come and begin to love you. Well, I want to thank you again and honor you for your time today and for sharing this exclusive information with our girlfriends in our Girlfriend Doctor Club and also with the world. I thank you for sharing your stories and the stories of so many and being such an inspiration. Please tell our listeners again how they can get a hold of you and get more in-depth work with you. Yeah, well, thank you. It's been good to be with you. They can always go to fivelovelanguages.com, and there you can get a little blurb on all of my books. You can also get a, a weekly mail out of an email that I send out. 
Uh, you can take the, the free quizzes. Uh, there's a lot of things you can do at that website. So I would encourage you to visit fivelovelanguages.com. They told me the other day that 50 million people have taken the couples quiz. That does not surprise and me. And it's all free. So it's, uh, yes. it's a good, good place to visit. Well, I appreciate that. Thank you for this great work. Thank you. You keep up the good work of encouraging ladies. Thank you. Well, girlfriends, that's exclusive on, you know, how to heal after an affair and really what that affair stemmed from. Understanding that and being able to repair it is probably your greatest gift. So if you're struggling with that or knowing someone who is, you know, having this heart of compassion and always, again, focusing on understanding your love language and getting your love tank full, from there, we can make really good decisions and we can do it with love and appreciation. Thank you for being with us today. More exclusives to come. Thank you.